0: Go ahead, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna to go to John 14. You can, you can look in the index for that. It's one of the four gospels after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John 14. We're doing a series, we're in week two of a series we're doing called Reading Scripture Rightly, which I, it's kind of a formal title. I probably could've picked something better than that. Um, but really what we're, what we're aiming to do just, just over the next few weeks is to grab some really well-known scripture passages that maybe if you've grown up in the church, Or maybe you've seen on t-shirts or, you know, uh, on on bumper stickers, kind of on, you know, kind of these phrases that have become slogans in our, um, in our culture. And we really want to look into scripture and and determine, man, is this what God was saying when he said these things? Um, And it's really a, a broader view of this is, hey, are we reading scripture the way God intended it to be read or Do we just kind of get to pick and choose scripture and just sort of read whatever meaning we want uh, into it? And of course the answer is no, we don't get to do that. The the authors of scripture wrote to a specific audience at a specific time with a specific intent. Now that doesn't mean that it's not applied to us, it is, um, but we want to make sure that we don't just apply it to us in whatever way seems good to us in whatever way sort of suits our lifestyles or what's most comfortable for us. And so really this is something that can springboard us out a little bit into how we generally read Scripture. So today we're going to look at John 14, uh, verses 13 and 14 specifically, which is a really famous passage. But I want to begin by asking you to imagine one of the richest people in the world. Let's just say a guy like Richard Branson who owns who owns the Virgin company, Virgin Airlines, Virgin Galactic, um, you know, uh, Virgin Records back in the day when people made records. Um, But let's just say that this dude invited you to his private island. And I know he has a private island because I saw a show one time about the private island that he owns, and it was insane. But let's just say he invited you to his private island. He puts you up in this unbelievably lavish room, overlooks the ocean. It's like nothing You've ever experienced in addition to that he, he also provides you with a staff that just takes care of your every need at one point during your stay he invites you into his house sort of the grand mansion on the island and he hands you a piece of paper which is a deed to the entire island with your name on it now the island is now yours and from that point on man all your needs are going to be taken care of. So there you are standing there with Richard Branson to the deed of the island. And he asks you, hey, whatever else I can do for you, just ask. Now remember, and you have want of nothing at this point in your life and in your ownership of Richard Branson's, formerly Richard Branson's island, right? So my question is this, what would you ask for? My question is, what is it that you really need at that moment? Jesus says here in chapter 14 of John, verse 13, he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he says this, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So how do we read this verse rightly so that instead of imagining what we can just get from Jesus, we reimagine what we really need because we already have Jesus himself, right? What if our requests to Jesus were not about getting exactly what we want, but were about getting our wants aligned with his so that our requests become the very things he wants for us. In other words, let me say it like this. What if the secret to becoming more spiritually mature is when we actually, what we actually need becomes what we really want? What if the secret, let me say it again, to becoming more spiritually mature and more satisfied in Jesus and drawn more affectionately to who he is. What if the secret to that is when what we actually need becomes what we really want? want. So this is what we're going to unpack here for a few minutes in John 14. Let me do a little background to kind of get to where Jesus got with his disciples who he was kind of preaching to here in John 14. This was the night before Jesus's death. Jesus is spending time with his disciples. Now Judas has already left to betray Jesus Jesus has told Peter that he is going to deny him before the morning comes. You can imagine the mood that is settling down, that is settled down into the upper room. Earlier he had washed his disciples' feet. He had done the most unexpected thing where he washed their feet as a way to show them how a follower of Jesus was to live and to lead Others. And now he assures these brothers. He says in chapter 14, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. He said, Believe in God. He said, Believe also in me. Now remember, these disciples were men who were about to be faced with challenges and trials. They had no idea were coming and we're still wrestling, ironically enough, with who Jesus even was after three years together. And by the way, that sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? I mean, we may find ourselves in a relationship with Jesus for years. Maybe that describes you, but we still struggle with even basic belief in him when it comes right down into the crevices of our lives. We still struggle with even believing that he's true, that he's real, that he's working in and through us. We struggle to trust that Jesus cares for and is invested in our troubled hearts. So Jesus tells these brothers, let not your hearts be troubled. So as we see the place that these disciples are in, a place of uncertainty, a place of unsettledness and anxiety, what do you think would be most helpful for them, what would have been the thing that they really needed? Because that is the question for you and for me this morning. What is it that you really need? I know what I want, right? You probably know what you want, maybe you don't. But if I were to quiz all of you and say, hey, what do you want? You'd come up with something. Because I could tell you what I want But if I were to be honest, what I want isn't always what I need. And if God granted me what I wanted every time over what I actually needed, then I can't imagine some of the messes I would be in, right? Ask a kid what he wants and you're gonna go, well, I'm gonna have to think about that, right? Because a kid is gonna tell you something that is probably gonna satisfy him in the moment, but that could be potentially dangerous for him in the future, but he doesn't have eyes and he doesn't have vision. To see what those things are. That's where you come in, a wise parent, right? So let me go back a few verses as we kick this off. And let me start in verse 10, because one of the ways, again, I'm going to repeat this, that you read Scripture rightly is by not reading any verse in isolation. And this is a classic verse that has been read in isolation so that we can put any kind of meaning we want into it. So I'm going to start in verse 10 of chapter 14. This is what it says. Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What does he mean when he says greater works? Let's just clear that one up. I I mean, how can we do greater works than Jesus did? Well, what he really basically means by that is that the ministry that the disciples were going to continue after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension, were gonna be done on the heels of his death, resurrection, and ascension. And so the miracles they were going to be able to do because of what Christ had already accomplished were going to go much further and much wider than what Christ was able to accomplish as one person in his three years of earthly ministry. So that's what he means when he says that. He's saying, hey, you guys are getting ready to go out on mission and the works that you're going to be able to do are going to be given to you by the Father. You're going to be empowered to take this mission forward. And this thing is going to expand way beyond what we've been able to do in the last three years. And then he gets to this place here in verse 13 where he says, hey, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. So you can see as we get some context coming into this thing that we're probably aiming at a little bit of a different meaning than just saying, man, I want that thing. God, let's let's pick up the pace. Let's get me what I want. You said it, by the way. Didn't you just say it? Didn't you just tell me to ask anything in my name and I will do it? Well, here's what we want to ask. We want to ask, what did Jesus actually mean when he told us to ask anything in his name and that he will do it? Let's break down what he didn't mean for a minute. What did he not mean? Well, asking something from Jesus in Jesus' name is not a magic formula. Saying in Jesus' name is not like some spell that you cast. And by getting the words just right, it it comes true. It doesn't mean that Jesus is a genie who just exists to grant your wishes. As much as we think that would be lovely and wonderful sometimes. It also doesn't mean that Jesus is obligated to grant any of our requests. So if we begin with a more accurate view of Jesus himself, it might be that this verse isn't about focusing on all the things you might want to ask Jesus for, but focusing on Jesus himself which will then change what you ask for. It will change how you ask, and it will change your expectations for when you ask. And by the way, that doesn't preclude you bringing everything to the feet of Jesus and asking him for it. So what does Jesus want us to know about him when we make our requests to him? Well, the first thing we see as you look down in verse 13 is the word ask, whatever you ask. Jesus says, Ask. Think about that. Jesus says, come to me. He says, whatever you ask. He says, I'm approachable. He's saying, hey, I wanna hear from you. He's saying, I'm asking you to ask me because I'm someone who listens and I want to answer you. I want to do for you. This means you and I have access. To come to the creator of the universe. To the ruler of the earth. To the shepherd of our souls. And bring our requests to him. Like you have to let your mind rest on that for a minute. The creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, is saying come to me and ask. There's an invitation there. You have access to him. But we struggle with that. Because there's a part of us that, because we battle with our own shame, there's a part of us that thinks Jesus can't possibly mean that. He can't possibly want us that close. But the heart of Jesus is not don't get too close. It's come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. Jesus said, hey, listen, you need to think rightly about me, you need to think rightly about God. He said, "God is a father who knows how to give good gifts when His children what? Ask Him." He said in Luke eleven thirteen, "If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him?" The invitation from Jesus to ask proves not only His generosity. But it also proves his wisdom in what he grants to us when we come to him and ask. I will give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks it of me. So Jesus wants to know when we make our requests to him, one of the things he wants us to know about his character is that he's invitational, he's welcoming you in. He's saying to you, hey man, come in. Ask me. The second thing that we want to look at when we talk about asking things of God is limitations, right? There's limitations to what any of us can provide for one another, right? I mean, when Melissa or Beth asks me for a gift, man, I have to weigh out whether it's even possible for me to provide it. Right, it's not only whether I think it's the best gift for them or not, it's whether I can, you know, I can afford that trip to space with Jeff Bezos that they're asking for, right? Thankfully, I can. In Luke 11, Jesus even says this, ask with persistence. So we have this God who can grant any request He's not limited by the resources that we're limited by. And Jesus says, ask and keep asking. Be persistent. Luke 11, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. So go after him. Ask him. Be persistent. Wait on the Lord is what we're told over and over again in scripture. If we're told to wait on the Lord, what would we be waiting for if not being people who are asking things of which we need to wait for, right? So this asking and this waiting thing that we see all the way through scripture is for our benefit, to build up our knowledge of God and his care for us, being an invitational God that invites us in and says, man, just throw it at me. I want to hear it. I want to hear what's on your mind. I want to hear your wants. I want to hear your needs. Has there ever been an invitation like this for you, for us? What is it that you really need? One thing is that you need to ask. Secondly, he says we need to ask in his name it says there in 13 and 14. Asking in Jesus' name, this is what it is. It's admitting that we are incapable in our own power of making things happen, right? Asking in Jesus' name is saying, yours is the kingdom and power. I, I wanna have the power and I wanna build my empire, but the problem is is that my name just carries no weight. It carries no power. I'm gonna do this thing in the name of Ronnie. Cool, and you just tripped and fell, right? Why is that? Because my name doesn't contain the power of calling the universe into existence. That's why, right? This is what asking in Jesus' name means for us. It's saying, I'm submitting myself to you and your will because my default is to promote my own name and my own will, and those two things lead to hopelessness instead of wholeness. So to pray in Jesus' name is praying with the power of the one who is able to keep the darkness of the evil one from prevailing upon you. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the power that comes with the name of Jesus. That's why the disciples would say, in the name of Jesus, brother, rise up and walk, and people would like just get up and walk, right? This doesn't mean the name of Jesus is a passcode to free miracles. That's not what we're saying. It means it's the power of God in the lives of believers to ask for God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's acknowledging that only by the power of God and his name do things actually happen. It's only by the power of God that we just took that last breath. It's only by the power of God that you just blinked your eyes. It's only by the power of God that your ears shrunk a little when I got a little too high in volume and it modulated me a little bit. We're really thanking the Lord for that one, aren't we? Right? It's only by the power of God that all of us are able to live and move and breathe and have our being right now. He's granting all of that to happen right now so that we can live and listen and grow. And be drawn closer to him. There's power in the name of Jesus is what Jesus is saying here about his name. Philippians 2, 9, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is what? Above every name. So that at that name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is it that you really need? You need to ask. You need to ask in his name and you need to ask for the sake of God's glory. He says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So our requests and everything we do are a matter of God's glory. It says it here, I think. Yep. Unless I forgot our values here. Gospel-centered, relationally driven, God-glorifying. We're actually going to unpack that in September. But for now, for this one point, we're talking about this right here. That's why we have it in our values. It's because it's just permeate scripture, the glory of God. Everything we do, the requests we make are a matter of God's glory. So when we go to Jesus and ask for anything in the power of his name, he will do everything that gives glory to his father. We can see how the verse is starting to kind of like open up for us. It's starting to make sense here. It's not just some mantra that we just sort of like chant and we wake up and it's Christmas morning every morning. That's not what he's saying at all, but he's trying to lean us into what are the purposes of Christ and how do those purposes align with what gives God most glory, right? So how many of you guys are watching the Olympics right now? Some of you guys are Olympic, yeah, you know, four of you. Man, the Olympics, man, somebody needs to do something about that. Um, but when you think about an Olympic athlete, and these athletes are insane. I mean, they're just, you look at them and you, you're depressed the rest of the day because they look amazing, right? And you know how hard they've trained and you just think, well, you know, I, you know, I went without dessert yesterday. I mean, I'm kind of in there with them. And you're like, no, um, not when I watch those swimmers, I'm really not at all. Um, but you think of an Olympic athlete and you think that they only eat what is going to help their fitness, right? They're so trained. They're not going to do anything that's going to push against their fitness. They're not going to do anything that's going to that, put them in a place of disadvantage for when they have to compete, right? You think about, let's just bring it back down to earth for us here a little bit, right? Think about a local gardener, right? My wife loves to garden and a local gardener will, will only treat their produce with what will make it healthy and delicious, right? So this, this helps us, right? When we think of everything that we ask, being for the sake of God's glory, of course, Jesus would grant those things that gives most glory to God. This helps us when we try to imagine these words, right? What, whatever you ask, and anything that you ask, that Jesus says He will do if we ask. In His name. In other words, like think of it like this, when you say I will do whatever it takes, for example, to make my marriage stronger, you mean, what you really mean to say is only those things that will contribute to its health and flourishing. Whatever will make it shine and benefit my life and the lives of my kids and the lives of the people around me. Does that make sense? So, the aim of Jesus is that God the Father would be made to be seen as most beautiful, majestic, holy, powerful, gracious, merciful, loving, and we could just keep going on forever with the list. So we're talking about God's glory, the promotion of God's glory. In the Old Testament, God's glory was seen by the children of Israel, the Israelites, as a cloud that led them during the day in a pillar of fire at night as they were being delivered from the oppression of the Egyptians. It was something that reminded them of the magnificence and the power and the deliverance of God who was in fact delivering them. They couldn't do it. They never hatched a plan to get out from under the oppression of Pharaoh. God was the one that had to go and deliver them. And he showed his power and his glory in that deliverance. Remember when God allowed those 10 plagues to inflict Egypt, to inflict Pharaoh and Egypt, what was really happening at that moment when well, God was showing his glory, he was showing his otherness, he was showing his power to do what was impossible for any woman, for any man to do. And when you read scripture, you just see this permeating. It's everywhere. Psalm 29 verse eight, Listen to what it says. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare and in his temple all cry glory. Man, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king of the forever. That is what this book is making plain and making big and making bold is the power and the glory of God. So this is what Jesus means as he tells his disciples that if they ask anything in his name for the glory of God, he'll do it. He is eager to grant those requests that give God glory. And whatever gives God glory, by the way, this is what's hard for us. This is where our unbelief comes into play, is always what gives us life and flourishing. Doesn't always feel like it. Sometimes we don't even understand God's methods for it because it doesn't mean everything is happy and clappy in a way that makes us flourish and gives God glory because sometimes it's trials and sometimes it's suffering that does this. Do we know why that happens? We don't. But we do know that it's not done by a God who doesn't care because he sent his own son to suffer for the sake of his glory and our ultimate good. Does that make sense? Tim Keller says this. I love the way he phrases this. Listen to this. God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. These verses here are so good for us. Like we said last week, these are verses that should be on our t-shirts and on our bumper stickers and on our mugs. They just need to be read and applied and believed rightly. They're about our will being conformed more deeply to the will of God so that the more and more we ask for Whatever it is that will extend the work of his kingdom, that becomes our greater desire. Now, listen, does that mean we never ask for a job? Does that mean we never ask for a girlfriend, for an opportunity, for a, a new power tool, for a KitchenAid mixer? I'm trying to keep it earthy here, guys. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to go so high level here. Of course, it doesn't mean that. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do you see how earthy he gets it? Whether you eat and drink, the two things I'm looking most forward to doing today. Do you see what he says right there? He says, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So it means all the mundane activities, all of the little things that we think God doesn't see and don't matter, he says, nope, they do. Because they can all give God glory. 1 Timothy 2.1 Paul tells Timothy, I urge that supplications, basically requests, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving, be made for all people. He wasn't super specific there. He said, Men, lay it all at the feet of Jesus. But before all of those things that matter deeply to God, he wants you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, because the rest, what? Will be added to you, he tells us in Matthew 6. He wants you to believe, like he said in Matthew 6, 8, that your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask him. This helps us when we pray. This helps us when we receive a no. Sometimes we pray for things, and the door just keeps getting shut, and things that we were hoping would come our way or doors that would open never do. And so we know that even when God gives us a no, when he doesn't grant a request. There's probably some way that we can't understand or see why that wasn't good for us, but we don't have the mind of God in as much as we know everything that's best for us. So we trust Him for the nose. And we become thankful for the nose because it means that He's still working in a way that we can't see, which is a way of building up our trust and our faith more deeply in Him. It means that God has something better for you when he doesn't give you the thing that you've been praying for. So what do you really need? Sometimes you need a hundred bucks. Sometimes you need a car. Sometimes you need a job. God understands those needs. And by the way, he gives us those jobs and, those, and family and, and friends and talents and a generous church community to help even provide for some of those needs when we're lacking. But he wants to grant us so much more than that. He wants to grant us those spiritual needs that help our purposes align with the purposes of Jesus. The purpose of Jesus is where we get what God has planned for us before the foundation of the world, which by the way, is himself. So what we really need is what God actually wants for us, which is the surpassing worth, as Paul says, of knowing and being known by God himself who will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So the secret then for us to understanding the will of God to growing in maturity and sanctification is when we actually need what we actually need becomes what we really want. And God is doing that work in you and he's doing that work in me because what we really need is what God actually has given to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ that provides an answer to us for all the other requests, whether they come to us or whether they are kept from us. What you really need, what I really need is more of Jesus. And that is the thing that we ask for along with everything else as a way of understanding that everything God grants us is for our good and his glory and those things that he withdraws and those things that he gives are meant to be the training and the testing ground for deeper trust in him. So ask away. Ask away.